stand for the reading of the Word of God and turn to Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter number 14 is where you'll find our text. If you're visiting with us today, you'll find a copy of the outline there in your bulletin this morning. You can follow along. There are many verses that you can read along with us. And uh, we continue our series as we're getting closer to what we'll celebrate as the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today I'm going to begin reading just a couple verses before our text. And so what you're looking at there is uh, verses 26 through 31. I'm going to begin reading in Mark 14, beginning in verse 22. And we'll read down to verse 31. The Bible says in Mark 14, 22, And as they did eat... Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, this is my blood of the new Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day, until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that, I am risen. I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter saith unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will, I, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Notice what Jesus says to them in verse number 27 again. He says these words, All ye shall be offended because of me this night shall be offended because of me. Who would have thought? Certainly none of us would have ever. That's what his disciples said. Let's pray that God uses this to speak to us this morning. Lord, thank you again for this day, for this hour, for the word of God. I pray that you'd use it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. I want you to notice the picture on this slide, and maybe some of you have had an opportunity to go to some of these forests. This is one of the forests that we visited out in the state of California. Can you see the people at the bottom of that tree? Those are real people. That is a really, really big tree. Some of these trees are so huge and so massive. And it's amazing when you're in the forest that you see these massive trees, but you also see underneath of these massive trees, smaller trees that they 
tower over. These big trees, they're, they're a picture of strength and maturity. Some will even attest to the fact that as we've traveled through some of those forests, that sometimes you'll see where loggers have gone in and they have taken out some trees. And the loggers will tell you that many times they won't bother these big trees, these huge, massive trees. And many times we think to ourselves, well, that doesn't make any sense because a tree that size certainly would have two to three times more wood that you could get from a tree like that than from some of the smaller trees that maybe they would cut down. The reason that the loggers don't do that is because they say that many of these big trees are really hollow on the inside. We saw some of that while we were going through one of these forests where places where animals and raccoons and other uh, animals of the forest would live inside of these trees and because these trees, for various reasons, have been hollowed out on the inside, when some of these strong storms would come through the area, these massive, huge trees that are pictures of strength and maturity, these big, huge trees, next slide, you find them laying on the ground. Now, you can tell how old this picture is. Look at that car. There's trees, some of these trees up in Yosemite and other places, they've named them. One of them's called General Sherman. They've got names for these massive trees. This one here, they cut out a section of it. When it laid across the road, instead of taking the whole tree out, they just made a tunnel through the tree. It's amazing how big these trees are. And you've heard the statement, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's what we see sometimes. The truth, I think, to these trees applies to Christians as well. These giant sequoias, most people would think that tree will stand forever. It'll never fall. But can I tell you that a lot of us are just like those big trees in the forest? A lot of us, we think that we have made some great strides in our lives as Christians. We would like to think that we have arrived, but we don't want to admit that many times what we do in our lives, whether you again admit it this morning or not, that we judge others by measuring their lives against the lives that we live. Look at I, look at what I've done. We kind of have this pharisaical attitude about our lives. I mean, folks, listen, we look at others and we see the things that they do and we see the places that they go to, and we hear the things that they say, and then we look at them and we say, I would never do that. I would never go there. I would never say that. That's the sentiments of many of us. We would not own up to it. We think that there is something special about us. We really believe that we, I, am the true standard of faith. I mean, look at me. You know, it, ain't I something to look at today? See, like those trees, I think many of us, in all reality, are just as rotten on the inside. We, we're living a shell. We're hollow. 
We look good. We've got a suit on, got a nice tie, nice dress. But on the inside is where God is concerned. See, we're not what we think we are. We don't live the kind of lives that we would like to think we do. We spend our days, listen, deceiving ourselves and deceiving others around us. In the passage before us this morning in Mark 14, Jesus is dealing with some men who saw themselves like those big trees. We call them the apostles. Privileged men called by the Lord Jesus himself to follow him, to spend time with him, to sit at his feet, to learn, to watch the miracles, to see all the mighty things that he had done. They saw themselves as those big trees in the Christian forest. If you asked any of them, they would have told you that, hey, listen, I, I'm sold out for Jesus. I have left everything to follow him. They would remind you of all the things that they had before him and how that now they have given all that up. They would tell you that they are all about telling others about Jesus and that they would never fail him and they would never forsake him. But as we read in the passage this morning, we see that Jesus is about to reveal the truth to them about them. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Sometimes the truth hurts. Do you know as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, there are some things that are wonderful to preach about. And there are other things that are just not as good to preach about because you know that they're not going to be received real well. But when I look at this passage, I see how Jesus is going to reveal their unpredictable hearts. I want to take you on a quick journey with me this morning. Because remember last week, they were in the upper room, and I want you to see a picture of that upper room. Many believe this is the actual room, or maybe it's been a reconstruction of that upper room. But you can imagine that Jesus, he told them to go in, in the city and find a place where he could gather with his disciples for one last meal. Last week we talked about how they were there at that upper room and how they were sitting around the table and remember the discussions and there are many things that Jesus taught his disciples in this very room about what was going to happen in the days ahead and we'll discuss some of those things even in the next couple weeks before we get to Easter Sunday but Jesus was with them in this upper room spending time teaching his disciples and what's amazing is is that as Jesus was there with them he began to tell them about one of them would betray him. The disciples began to say this, Lord, is it I? Then you'd hear another one, Lord, is it I? Almost as if each one of them was capable of being the one. Jesus says, which again doesn't clarify to us, but he says, he that dips his hand 
in, in the sop that eats with me, the same is the one that's going to betray me. And I'm thinking, well, that doesn't narrow it down for me because they're all eating because they're all good Baptists, you know? <laughs> if you read in the scriptures, here's what you find is that the one that the others would have been least suspecting of would have been Judas. Because Judas was the treasurer. And oftentimes, the one that holds the bag that is the treasurer is the one that everybody trusts because they have the money. Now, we know that's different even in our day, right? But remember what Jesus said to Judas. He says, what you do, do it quickly. He even said that while they were in this room. And Judas left. And still, none of them knew who it was. They leave this room, and you have to remember what is about to happen. Next picture we have here is, as they leave this room, I put this map up here. Hopefully, you can see it large enough behind me. But in the bottom left corner, notice it says, Upper Room Traditional. This may or may not be the location. It's somewhere in this area. But I want you to see that if you look to the right, my right, your left, you see the Mount of Olives. And I want you to notice that right there above the word olives, you see the word Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. Between the Mount of Olives and the upper room, there is something known as the Kidron Valley. Everybody see the valley running up through there? Now I want you to, I want you to keep this map in your mind and go to the next slide because this is, this is probably the path. Now, it's been modernized because notice the walkway. Okay, that walkway wasn't there. Maybe it was a trail back in the days of Christ. Jesus makes his way away from this upper room where he's been with his disciples. He makes his way out and around and down toward the Kidron Valley. If you see right there about in the middle of the picture, those were actual graves. If you go to the Holy Land today, that entire hillside is full of graves. Completely full, still to this day. But many believe that those graves at the base of the mountain there, the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives, you can see the Mount of Olives right up behind it there. You see that's actually where Jesus was heading. That Jesus is walking this pathway with his disciples. Go to the next slide. This is the Kidron Valley. Jesus made his way down to this valley with them walking with him. They walk through this valley, and the next slide shows that as they start the ascent, that they're going up towards Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus would pray the prayer to his Father. Let this cup pass from me. When they get up to the Garden of Gethsemane, while they're there, I want you to see this last picture that this is a picture that as they're in the garden, if you notice in the distance, it's a little hazy. You can actually see the city of Jerusalem. You see something that's there today that was not there. See, back in that day, there was a temple. Now you see the Temple Mount. You see the dome on the rock up there in the background. That's not the way it looked when Jesus was with his disciples 
But I want you to, in your mind, understand that the passage that we read this morning was the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples as he left the upper room in the city of Jerusalem, made his way out away from that city, down through the Kidron Valley, and up towards this Mount of Olives to this garden known as Gethsemane. That's the passage that we're looking at this morning. This conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, he reveals unto them, listen to this, here's what he tells them, that all of you are going to forsake me. That's the conversation. That's what he tells them. Before the night was over, he says, all of you are going to forsake me. And listen, all of these men, what do they do? They are adamant about the fact that they would never do something like that. They said, listen, Lord, that's not, I'm, that's, that's not me. I would never do that to you. I mean, they're making bold declarations. Look, if you have come uh, to any one of these men and you asked him, do you think that you would ever walk away from him? Do you think that you would ever fail God? Every one of them would have said, I would never do that. See, these men are about to learn the truth. And the truth was that never wasn't as long as they thought it was. Because by the time they got to the Mount of Olives, they did exactly what Jesus said they would. Jesus revealed this to them. In these verses, he reminds not only them, but us, that self-righteousness and hypocrisy and spiritual failure are all possible to any one of us. Every last one of us. These verses teach us that we should live every day in our lives with an honest understanding of our true spiritual condition. I mean, look, you're not going to fool God. You can't pull the wool over on God. God knows our hearts and God knows where we are today. And these verses help us to understand and to teach us that we should never say never. That's what they did. I want you to see some truths from this passage this morning that clearly show us the dangers of thinking that we've arrived. In other words, of being offended because of him. See, we would think to ourselves, I'd never do that. Do you know I sat in my office this week and guess what? I started to think to myself, well, I wouldn't be like the disciples. And I thought, guess I need this message before I preach this message. Jesus gives, first of all, some prophecies. And notice we see these prophecies monitored. Again, look at verse 27 in our passage this morning. Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written... Anytime you see that in the Bible, that phrase, that means it's already been written somewhere. That's talking about a prophecy. The Bible says, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they're on the way to Gethsemane. And when they get there, that's the place that Jesus would pray that prayer in John 17 
that great prayer where he agonized because of the sin of the world, we all know that later on Jesus would be betrayed into the hands of angry men and that Jesus would then be carried from trial to trial by his enemies and that on the way to Gethsemane, as all this is on his mind and all this is in his heart because he is God and he knows everything that's going to happen before it happens, on the way to this garden, Jesus has some things to say to his men that they needed to hear that we need to hear this morning. See, we need to hear what Jesus said to those men that night. And he shares with them, first of all, a prophecy of a fall. The word offended that Jesus used. It literally means to make, to stumble, or to fall away. Jesus is telling these men that they would stumble, that they would fall because of him that very night. It wasn't something in the distance. This was something that was going to happen that night. It's interesting, when you look at this word offended, the word that God used in the original as he gave his word was the word scandalizo, which is where we get our English modern word scandal. And here's what he's talking about. He says that you're going to be scandalized. You're going to be offended. See, like all Jews, they were going to be offended by the thought of anyone dying on a cross, much less anyone that they knew or that they were associated with. Because there was a stigma that came with those that died on a cross. Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, his crucifixion is a stumbling block. But under the Greeks, notice, it's foolishness. You see what he's saying there? I mean, they thought to themselves, how could this happen? The events of this night actually caused those disciples, those followers of Jesus, to rethink their association with him, to rethink their allegiance to him. One of the things that I mentioned last week was scriptural baptism. And I talked about this baptismal pool that we have in our church right behind me. And I was telling people, even, even just yesterday, I was telling folks that as we go into that water, that it is a picture of the death, the burial as we go under the water, and the resurrection as we come up out of that water. It's one of the ordinances that the Lord has given to the church that we would remember when people are following the Lord in believer's baptism that it is an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ with his teachings, that we are saying that we believe them, that we line up with them. And that's what we're seeing here today is, is that the events of what Jesus was telling them, they're starting in their minds and in their hearts to think, well, maybe we need to rethink this a little bit. You know, I, I, I'm not really sure about this. I mean, I thought I was sure. But remember, Jesus said, this night, you're, gonna, you're going to deny me you're going to walk away from me. You're going to be scandalized because of me. Before the night ended, every one of his disciples would abandon him for fear for their own lives. And the Bible says in Mark 40, 14 and verse 50, look at it. They all forsook him and fled, just like Jesus said. Every last one of them. There wasn't one of them left standing there. Every one of them that said, I would never do that. Every one of them forsook him and fled. 
So I find here the prophecy of a fall, but notice I also see a prophecy of a fulfillment because Jesus tells them that their failure, their walking away, they're offended because of him, they're scandalizing. He said it would be the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that you find in the book of Zechariah chapter 13. Look at the verse. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be what? Scattered. Now listen, if you study the word of God, here's what you find. Jesus Christ is not only the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. And as we think about that, listen, he is the shepherd of our soul. And understand that we are the sheep of his flock, that we follow him. Listen, do not follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow after Christ. We're not here to follow man. We're here to follow the Lord Jesus. And understand this morning that as these men were following him, Jesus said, this night, he says, you will have an issue in your hearts. He says, you are going to be offended. He says, you are going to be scandalized. And he says, the reason that I know this to be true is because it has been written, it has been prophesied, and that prophecy is going to come to pass. See, their abandonment of the Lord, it was just a part of the divinely ordained plan of God. Jesus was their shepherd. And when you take the shepherd away, what happens? The sheep go, they scatter. And that's exactly what happened here. They quickly lost their way. They wandered away from the path of being close to him. They strayed farther than they ever thought was possible in their own lives. Can I tell you, listen, as Jesus was sharing this with them that night, we need to be reminded of something this morning, that we serve a Savior that knows all things. See, as he was sharing this with them, he knew what was going to happen. See, the disciples thought to themselves, they're like those big trees. They're close to him. They're safe and secure. They're never going to fall away from him. But his words were designed to show them that he knew far better than they did. He knew them better than they knew themselves. See, we deceive ourselves again thinking that because we're saved and because we've reached a place where we no longer somehow will ever be tempted to fail. We seem to think that others might fall, but we never will. We seem to think that we know better than God. But listen, God knows the problems that we face. God knows that we struggle with this flesh. Am I alone this morning? Anybody else in here struggle day to day with the flesh? And God knows that. Understand that he knows us, that he became a man without ceasing to be God. He understands in our lives as we are sinful people that there is the potential there that we have to sin. And he knows the pull of the temptations and the sin in our lives and the evil and the sin that does so easily beset us. So I see here in this passage that as Jesus is making that walk from the upper room up to the Garden of Gethsemane, 
I see some prophecies that are monitored, but secondly, I see some promises magnified. Look at verse 28. Look at this verse. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Now with this shocking prophecy that he makes to them, hey, listen, all of you are going to forsake me. All of you are going to fall away. Not one of you will stay with me. After he makes that shocking prophecy to them, he gives them a precious promise. When Jesus tells them that they would forsake him, they listen, there's no doubt. These men were shaken to the core. I mean, every one of them thought, I would never do that. They were upset and they needed something to bring peace back into their hearts. Now, I don't know what it is for you. Listen, there's nothing that this world offers me that brings peace to my heart like God does. You know, some people try everything. I mean, they'll, they'll try pills and they'll try booze and they'll try coffee and they'll try donuts. I mean, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I'm just as bad as other people. Anybody else familiar with the words comfort food? I love it while I'm eating it. But after I've eaten it, I'm not comforted anymore. They were shaken to their core. I mean, they, they couldn't believe what Jesus just said to them. I mean, how in the world would he say something like this? And they needed something to give the peace, that peace that passes all understanding. And what he said to them next actually spoke peace to their troubled hearts. I love the fact that I wasn't there with them on that walk. I never made it into that garden, but can I tell you that his words to me still bring peace. When I look at the words of God today, I see great comfort. And I want you to notice a couple of things that he promises to them. Notice, first of all, he, there's the promise of a resurrection. I love what he says to them in verse 28. He says, after that, I am risen. Notice again the words, after that, I am risen. Now, Jesus, if you go back, and we don't have the time, but Jesus had just told his men that he was going to die. He was going to die for their sins, that his body would be broken. And we, we oftentimes have what we call the Lord's table, and it's the other ordinance of the church to, to remember his, his broken body and his shed blood. And Jesus had just told them that. And I mean, they were startled to hear that Listen, Jesus was going to give his life. They didn't want Jesus to go. By the way, we'd be the same way. If we had an opportunity to walk with Jesus like they did in his physical body, we would not have wanted that party to end. We would have wanted Jesus to stay. They heard that news, and it troubled them. But he comforts them with this promise, listen, that he will rise again. That's what he says to them in verse 28. He says, after that, I am risen. I mean, in other words, the cross was not the Lord's final stop. He was going to die, yes, on that cross. He would pay for the sins of the world, yes, on that cross. He would be placed in that tomb, and he would be there three days. But up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. Listen, he would give them his life. He gave his life for us. 
He was the innocent for the guilty. Listen, so that the lost could have the opportunity to be saved. Look at the Bible says in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Isn't that a neat statement? That he might bring us to God. See, the only way you can get to God is through Jesus. So as we look at that, he says that as he has put to death in the flesh, but he was quickened by the Spirit. His body would be taken down from that cross, and his body would be buried in that tomb, and he would lie there for three days, and then he would rise from the dead. He would walk out of that grave in victory. His resurrection is the supreme importance of our beliefs this morning. Look what the Bible says, who was delivered for our offenses. Remember, Jesus said, some of you are going to be offended because of me. But the Bible says he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Listen, if Jesus would not have died on that cross and spilled God's precious blood, we would not have the hope of having a home in heaven someday. We would be miserable because we would still be lost in our sin. But aren't you glad that Jesus gave his life? And listen, beyond, listen, beyond his death, I see that he makes a promise of his resurrection. Aren't you glad that one day we'll see the Lord again? You see, all the religions of the world can't claim that. You know why? Because the founders of their religion... Their bodies are still laying, or the remains of their bodies are right where they placed them. But Jesus is alive today. He's at the right hand of the Father. And I see a promise that he gives them of resurrection. But notice also he gives them a promise of restoration. Because when I look at verse 28 again, he says, After that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. I mean, Jesus' words here, they promise them uh, restoration and forgiveness on the other side of their failure. Remember, they all denied him. They all walked away from him. They were all offended by him, but he restored them back to fellowship on the other side of their failure. Peter would deny him, and all the rest of them would forsake him. Yet Jesus would restore them, and Jesus would use them in the days ahead. The Bible describes them in Acts 17 as men that turned the world upside down. Hey, listen, these were men that God used in a mighty way to continue the work that Jesus began. And just like those men, guess what? We have all failed the Lord. And can I tell you this morning that that failure does not mean the end, that God still can use us, and God offers complete forgiveness to all those who will come back to him. Look what Jeremiah says. I will cleanse them from how much of their iniquity? All. Whereby they have sinned against me. And I will pardon how much of their iniquities? All. Whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. See, I see here that thank God for the restoration. And thank God for his forgiveness. How that these men were told by Jesus that you will be offended because of me this night. You will walk away. And by the way, they did just as he said they would. But Jesus restores them back. Notice I see thirdly this morning another truth. I see some pronouncements that were mentioned. 
Now, when I look at these pronouncements, I see, first of all, a denial. Look at verse 29. It's always Peter. Ever see that? Some of us would say, you know, I pretty much feel like I'm a Peter. Every time I tell a story, I don't know why, but years ago, every time I tell a story and it was one of those hypotheticals, I always used the name Johnny. I don't know why. I guess some little ornery boy in my childhood, his name was Johnny. But I, I, every time I tell some kind of story, I always say Johnny. And every time Jesus shares something, it seems like it's always Peter. And when you come to verse 29, look what it says. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, look what Peter says, yet will not I. You know what Peter's saying? I'm the biggest tree in the forest. I mean, all those other trees, I mean, Lord, they're going to fall over. He says, not me. I'm going to stand. I'll be standing when nobody else stands. That's what he's saying here. I see this denial out. Peter was saying, look, Lord, you can depend on me. Uh, others might leave you, but I'll never leave you. I mean, can I tell you, I believe with all my heart that Peter had no intention of failing the Lord. I really don't think he did. I think that was his sentiment. And I see the denial, but notice I see also a declaration. Look at verse 30. Because look what Jesus says to Peter's denial. He says, verily I say unto thee. Now that's singular. He's talking to Peter. Because Peter's the one that opened his mouth. He says, therefore I say unto thee, that this day, even this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. The Lord tells Peter, before the sun goes down, before it comes up in the morning, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It's an amazing thing. We were, we were in the Holy Land, and some people are in the, in the auditorium this morning. They can verify what I'm about to say, you know, because some pre preachers like to fabricate things, but this is not one of those fabrications. We were standing on kind of a rooftop of a building when we were in the Holy Land. And that map that you saw where you saw over on the side where the traditional place of the upper room was. And then as Jesus came down and around and went down through the Kidron Valley, we were standing on top of a building that overlooked the Kidron Valley. And over to our right was where Jesus eventually was taken from the garden back the direction he came from towards the garden. He was taken over here and this is where he began his trials and that was just to the right of us. We were standing there, and I was overlooking the Kidron Valley. You could see off in the distance up towards the Mount of Olives. And there was a whole group of us standing there. And I had taken a couple pictures, and then all of a sudden I thought I heard this noise, and I thought to myself, no, I didn't just hear that. So I stood there for a second. I took my phone and I got my phone ready because I thought, if it happened, maybe it'll happen again. And sure enough, I started to hear it, and I hit record. And I heard, <laughs> it happened about three times while we were standing there. Did that happen, Roman? 
that, that sent chills when I heard that rooster because I thought about what Jesus said, how Peter would deny him. And remember, he's talking to Peter, but they're all there. Peter wasn't the only one that forsook him. They all forsook him. He might have been talking to Peter because Peter's the one that opened his mouth, but he was really, like I am today, I'm not talking to one individual this morning. I'm talking to an auditorium full of people. You're all hearing this message. And all of us could say, I would never do that, just like Peter said that. Though everybody else will, Lord, I would never do that. But I see Jesus' declaration, Peter, you're going to deny me. And I see, after that declaration, a debate. Look at verse 31. But he spake the more vehemently. Peter wasn't done yet, was he? Here's what Peter says. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. You know what I kind of thought to myself when I saw these words by Peter? I thought to myself, Peter is kind of like having children who won't listen to you. Because Peter refuses to listen to what the Lord is saying, and he reaffirms his promise to stand with the Lord. As a matter of fact, he even says, look, Lord, I'm willing to die for you. That's what he's saying here. And the words that the Bible uses here is the words more vehemently. That means that it was out of measure. Peter was voicing, he might have raised his voice, and maybe he was uh, you know, his eyes were bulging. Maybe he had his jaw set. I mean, Peter was doing everything he could to make his point to the Lord. I mean, listen, Lord, I would never do that. And then the other disciples, they join in with Peter and they all voice their determination. Lord, look, we're all going to stand with you. And he says, no matter what happens, every one of us. But we all know that after that night, they would all go back from the Lord. Every one of them went back from that commitment to some degree. Some would briefly abandon his call on their lives and they would return to their old life. Listen, those weren't the good old days, folks. If they were the good old days, you would have never left them. But I want you to notice what the Bible says in John 21, 3. Peter said unto them, notice it wasn't just him, it was others with him. He says, I go a fishing. Look, Peter, if you're going to go, why don't you just go? Why do you got to tell them? And the Bible says, they say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Now, if you know this passage and you know what happened after that, guess what? The Lord comes back to them again. Peter, what are you doing? Says to the rest of the disciples, what are you doing? You told me that you would never forsake me. See, regardless of what they believed in their hearts, they failed him because they refused to heed his warning. And they, they felt honestly that that they, they, were, they, were, they were beyond this, and yet they, they didn't consider their flesh. I mean, these were men that had spent three and a half years with Jesus. How could these men, after spending all that time with Jesus, how in the world could they be offended because of him? And then I thought to myself, how could I? And I want you to see four things that came to my mind, because the same way that they failed Jesus is the same way that we fail him today. 
Notice the first one is pride. See, the best among us is only one heartbeat away from denying the Lord. Look at the Bible says, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. Pride. We heard about that from the missionary on Wednesday night. About what pride does in our lives. And they failed the Lord. They forsook him because of pride. Notice some, it was because of self-deception. They loved themselves more than they loved him. You know, Jesus said, and the word of God tells us that that's the spirit of the day. That people love themselves more than they love God. They love the creation more than the creator. What does the Bible tell us about this? Well, look what it says in Galatians 6. If a man thinketh himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. You see, we're all guilty of thinking, I'm that big tree. I'd never fall. I'd never walk away from God. Do you know there are some that are not here today that were here a year ago? But they have fallen away. You see, all of us, because of the flesh, could fall. The self-deception. Notice another thing that caused some of them to fall was fear. And don't get me wrong. I understand that people were, that they were following Jesus. And because Jesus was on trial and because Jesus was leading people away from the authority of the day, that when they dealt the way they dealt with Jesus, certainly they feared for their own lives. See, fear has caused many to fall into the crowd instead of taking their stand with the Lord. Remember what they said to Peter? Peter was standing there warming his hands by the fire, and they said, surely you're one of his disciples. Remember what Peter did? Uh, nope. Got the wrong person. Might have been somebody that was this handsome that kind of looked like me, but it wasn't me. One of them even said this to him, your speech berayeth you. I don't know, Peter had a southern accent. Maybe Peter was from Jamaica. I don't know. <laughs> but they said, listen, every time you open your mouth, you're identifying. By the way, that ought to be a clear indication that what comes out of a Christian's mouth ought to identify them with Jesus. But look what it says here. There's no fear of God before their eyes. That's the world we live in today. People don't even fear God today. They fear man more than they fear God. See, and that could have caused some of them to fall away. How about this one, ignorance? The disciples, they, listen, they, they thought that they could stand in their own power. How many of us are foolish like that? Can I, listen, can I tell you, you're no match for the devil. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, about spiritual wickedness. Folks, listen, we need God's strength and God's power in our lives. And many times we are ignorant to the fact, the Bible says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Can I tell you this morning, the worst word that you can get in your vocabulary is the word never. They said we would never do that. That's what they said to Jesus. Will you be offended because of the Lord? 
Will you stumble because of the Lord? Will you fall away in your life because of the Lord? Listen, I, I think when I look at the disciples, I feel like, listen, myself included, there are people in this room that maybe thought that they would never be living the life that they're living today. I mean, when you got saved, do you remember that you promised the Lord that you're going to live for Him from this day forward? Do you remember that statement? I hope you made some statement like that. God, thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Let's see, are we being faithful to Him? Are we being faithful to His house? Faithful to His word? I mean, what are the things that we're now doing? What are some of the things that we're now allowing into our lives? Are those things that we're allowing in things that years ago, maybe even months ago, would have been off limits? So what should we do if we've been offended? It's pretty easy. Here's what God says. Come home. Why don't you just come home? I know you've been out wandering. I know you've gotten away. But the loving father says to his children, come home. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I think about that prodigal. You know, many times people want to make the whole story about the son. Because the Bible talks about how he came to his father and he asked his father for things and then he went out and he wasted it on riotous living, and that is the Bible story. I don't think that passage is about the son at all. I think that passage is about the father. Because, see, the father never stopped looking for his son. And you know what I think this morning? Jesus never gave up on his disciples. Every last one of them was offended because of him. Every last one of them said, I would never do that. Listen, don't just get on Peter's wagon today. Every one of them forsook him. And I don't know where you are in your Christian life today, but if you're away from God, listen, he wants to restore you back to him. And if you're not away from him, then maybe this morning during this invitation, maybe you ought to come this morning and say, Lord, I know what I'm capable of doing. God, I'm asking you to help me to never say never to you. To never be offended because of you. To never fall away from you. Let's stand this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.